The reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Simon. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm hoping um, you can hear me this morning because I'm a little bit of a cold. So apologies if suddenly my brain goes or something along those lines. Uh, Let's pray anyway. Uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we've had over the last year to uh, journey through Luke's gospel. And um, as we come to uh, this passage, which maybe is a bit perplexing for some of us, I pray that you'd help us to hear your voice um, and um, what you uh, desire us to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're thinking about the parable of the ten miners. I'm just waiting. Ten miners. Is it the ten miners? Yeah? No? Not, oh no, not that sort of miner. Maybe the ten miners. Oh no, that's the minor key. Um, or the ten miners. I oh know those are minor birds. <clears throat> Let's go again though. It's the ten miners. 
There we go. Um, I just couldn't resist. I'm sorry about that. I, every time I heard that word when Simon was uh, saying it then, he checked with me beforehand, actually, how you pronounce it. And I said, please, I don't know what's right, but please pronounce it minor. Otherwise, um, it would cause a little bit of a problem for the beginning of my sermon. Um, yeah, we're thinking about this parable of the ten minors that Jesus uh, told. And it's actually the final sermon. Um, I think that's right, isn't it? Next week. Are we thinking about... It's Christmas next week, isn't it? We're, yeah. This is the last one. You know, that's where my brain is at de- today. I apologize. Um, we, this is the final passage in our Luke series before uh, we sort of think about um, Christmas um, in the next uh, few weeks. So we will sort of pause from today until we get to, to January, uh, where we'll pick up uh, Luke's gospel once more. Um, so it's, it's an interesting one with us to finish with today, but it's so perfect for Advent Sunday, um, as we will see. Um, now, you may, as you heard uh, those words, you may have been thinking, oh, this sounds very familiar. It sounds a bit like another parable. Maybe it sounds like uh, the parable in Matthew, the parable of the talents. Sort of similar, isn't it? Um, and, but it's different. It is different because in Matthew... Um, All the different people are given different gifts. But in Luke here, they're given the same gift. They're all given one of these coins. So it's it's from a similar outline, and it reminds us, as we've thought about before, that um, that Jesus probably um, told the same story a number of times, but maybe in slightly different ways at times. And so here's an example of that. So it's a very similar uh, story to the parable of the talents, but with a few differences, and actually we can take some different things from it as a result. It's really helpful for us, though, um, particularly with this parable, to understand a bit of the sort of historical context of the time. Um, So um, you'll recognize some of these names, and we will um, certainly be talking about them in the next few weeks, or reading about them anyway. When Herod the Great died, um, it was was obvious to almost everyone that his son, um, Archelaus, here's a photograph, sorry, not a photo, a picture of Archelaus, and uh, it, was, it was obvious that he uh, would take the throne um, to be king in Judea, but um, only one person had the power to make him king, and that was the emperor Caesar in Rome. So Archelaus um, be- began his rule straight away um, after his father died, but his title could only be agreed by Caesar. So he had to make his way on that long journey to Rome. But there was opposition to um, him becoming king. And he found out when he reached Rome that some of his family were trying to sort of contest um, that uh, throne. Not only that, but a group of Jewish leaders came from Jerusalem to claim before the emperor that Archelaus was not fit to be king. And the reason for that was that during Passover, there'd been a a disturbance at the temple and Archelaus' soldiers had killed about 3,000 worshippers. So these leaders um, lobbied Caesar to stop him making Archelaus king. And it took a long time. But eventually Caesar gave Archelaus the opportunity to prove that he would be a good king. However, when he returned to Judea, he quickly punished those who'd gone against him. So Archelaus went to Rome, a contender to be king, and came back as king. 
albeit one that wasn't really wanted. And it's helpful for us to understand that sort of historical context uh, because um, that, all of that happened shortly after the birth of Jesus. So those hearing Jesus' parable would have had that in their minds as Jesus told this story. That's a sort of historical context. It's also good for us to remember the sort of the theological, the biblical context, the context in Luke. Um, Right back in Luke 9, we were reminded that uh, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. And at this point in the story, he's, he's nearing the end of his journey. In fact, in the next passage, which we'll look at after Christmas, um, Jesus enters Jerusalem, hailed as king as he rides down um, the Mount of Olives on the donkey. And so we're told in verse 11 of our passage these words, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So Jesus tells this parable to help the people understand more about the coming kingdom of God. And actually, he tells them to help them understand their part in this as well. And what I want to do this morning is bring out three things um, from this parable. Firstly, the king will return. Secondly, what do we do while we wait? And thirdly, what happens when the king returns? So let's first of all then think about that passage and what it says about the king will return. Well, we read there, don't we, that the people thought that the kingdom of God would come as soon as Jesus entered Jerusalem. But it's not quite the case, is it? The journey to Rome where kings went would have been a long journey and no one would quite know when that return would happen. And the same for Jesus. We know that he is ascended that he's seated at the right hand of the Father as Christ the King, which um, last Sunday was the feast of Christ the King, sort of the final Sunday in the church calendar because we're at, at day one of the church calendar today. But no one knows when Jesus will return. Here's just a few verses to remind us of this from Matthew 24, 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Matthew 25, verse 13. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And then finally, from earlier on, in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 12, verse 40, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Pretty clear from those scriptures, and there are others as well, that we don't know when Jesus will return. And I have to admit, I was given a gift a couple of months ago um, when I saw a newspaper article about a player called Jesus Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And that's the manager of Arsenal. He didn't know when Jesus would return from injury. And I just could not resist uh, putting that on the screen today. Um, uh, especially because it you know, talks about a win over Sheffield United, which is always a good thing. Um, we don't know, uh, he's saying there. And of course, we do not know when Jesus will return. And I have to admit, isn't that good? A football manager with good theology. 
You know, he doesn't know when Jesus will return. Neither do we. Um, I'm, I'm very pleased with that. Anyway, I just couldn't resist it. As soon as I saw it, screenshot, keep that. <clears throat> we don't know when Jesus will return. But we do know that he will. And there's lots of scriptures um, in, in uh, there's lots of passages in scripture that remind us of that. Here's just one verse from Hebrews 9. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That's a good verse, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful reminder of what Jesus is coming to do when he returns? But as these uh, servants in Luke, in this story that Jesus tells, found out, that meant certain things for them. And I wonder, do we pay enough attention to all of this? You know, the Advent season, of course, is a time to prepare, isn't it? It's a time to wait. We have Advent calendars, but they count down to the 25th of December, which obviously is is Jesus' birthday. You know, whether it was or not, of course, we don't know. We do it to get ready for Christmas, but Advent is so much more than that. It's good to remind ourselves that Jesus will return. That is what Advent is about. As well as thinking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus, it is about thinking about the fact that Jesus will return, and that is good news. And I wonder whether we really believe that. You know, and, or do we get what that means? Because it means that, as Charlie prayed earlier, we have hope. It means that we have good news to look forward to. I was very fortunate to be able to visit Angela on on Monday, um, not long before she died, and I I prayed with her. And I said to her, "Um, Angela, you do know that Jesus is with you in this room? And she said, I know, like this. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful reminder. She knew where she was going. She knew that Jesus was with her. We know that we have a hope and a future, that when Jesus returns... He will finally usher in the full uh, kingdom of God. And surely that should have an impact, really, on on how we live, on what we do, on what we do with that good news of Jesus. Another thing to point out in here is that the people in this parable didn't want this king to be king. You know, it's a bit like those who went after Archelaus, isn't it? Um, And in uh, Luke 19, verse 14, it says this, But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. I mean, the parallels between what had happened in history and what Jesus says here are astonishing, really. And, of course, we can think why this might be the case for this king or for Archelaus. But what about Jesus? Yet, of course, there are those who don't want Jesus to be king. Some do rebel against everything that Jesus stands for. And it's really hard to think in those ways, isn't it? But that is the case, even if they might not articulate it in that way. And so that's a challenge for us, isn't it, to pray for those who, who, who um, maybe think about Jesus in that way, to see him for who he really is. Let's pray that they see the light of Jesus in the way, through the way that we live, through the way that we act, through how we relate to them. 
But as we read in this passage, this king is made king, as is Jesus. The opposition doesn't stop him, and we need to hold on to that. You know, the opposition will not stop Jesus being king. It will not stop Jesus returning. Jesus will return. The king will return. And at that point, his kingdom will be fully established. And actually what we are reminded of quite beautifully in this passage is that we are in that now and the not yet, which is a phrase that we may hear a number of times. When Jesus has been made king, like uh, the kings traveling back from Rome, The kingdom has been established, but it won't be fully here until Jesus returns. So that's the first point, and my voice is just about holding up. Uh, Let's move on to the next one. What do we do while we wait? Well, the big challenge in this passage is is about faithfulness. It's not really about money, uh, you know, uh, but it's about faithfulness to what we have been given. In Matthew, in the parable of the talents, it's about using the gifts given, which are all different. And here, it's about um, them being given the same amount. It's about 100 days wages. That's what a miner is. So it's not megabucks, but it's still a decent amount. And we read in this uh, parable that each of these servants is challenged to put this money to work. Um, all 10 of them. And we only hear about three of them, don't we? But it gives us a picture of what Jesus is saying. They're given until the king returns to make money work. And when the king returns, we hear how they've got on. One has made 10 miners from one, another's made five, and one puts it in some cloth and makes nothing. But as I said, this passage is not really about the money. What if we said this imagery of money is about the areas of responsibility God gives to his people? Actually, what God expects of his people. What if this parable is talking practically about the stewardship of what God has given us? Those things that God has given us that while Jesus is away, before he returns as king. And it is interesting that they're all given the same amount So this isn't necessarily the gifts that we've been given because uh, we all have different gifts, but it's the responsibility. And maybe it's the responsibility particularly with the gospel or how we live as Christians as we await his return. It certainly isn't about faithfulness to the king's request. And so it's about how we're faithful to Jesus, how we use what God has given us. And I believe that includes the good news of the gospel. This is about our responsibility to be faithful to King Jesus. So there's a reminder there, isn't there, that we don't just do nothing while we wait for Jesus' return. When I teach um, uh, Securely Single, I talk about the way we call to remain in Jesus. So if you think about that passage in John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and I will remain in you. And one of the things that he says in that passage is that you will bear fruit. And that's what it means to remain in him, that we don't just sit around and twiddle our thumbs as if we're in a waiting room. We are waiting in an active way. And in an active way, so that we bear fruit. That's what Jesus is asking us here. 
But what we see here, of course, is that we don't all bear the same amount of fruit, even if we're all given the same gift, but that that is okay. As we'll see in a moment, the main thing is being faithful with it. Jesus tells us that one of the servants makes ten minors and another five. They've done something with the money. They have been uh, faithful and therefore fruitful. But there is, of course, one who doesn't do anything with the money. He just puts it in a cloth. Maybe he doesn't even think about it um, until the king returns. Oh, I sort of put it in my pocket, is that sort of sense. He doesn't even do, actually, what would have been expected at the time. What would have been expected at the time would have been to bury that money, uh, not to keep it in a cloth. Why doesn't he do anything? You know, well, it appears that um, he's afraid. Fear has stopped him from doing anything. We'll think about that in a moment. Now, of course, none of this is sort of rocket science, is it? But it's important for us to acknowledge that we are all given a responsibility by Jesus until he returns. A responsibility to live faithfully for him. To put what we have received to good use. And I wonder what that might look like for you. How are you living for Jesus as you await his return? It's not, as, as we've seen, about the quantity of what you do. Just that you are faithful. Because, as this parable reminds us, there are consequences to what we do. So that's the first two. Uh, The final point is this question, what happens when the king returns? Well, we see that the two who've made money are rewarded. Now remember, it's not about economics, but it's about faithfulness. And, see, um, and we see how, though, the result is that they're given more responsibility. That's always good, isn't it? Well done, you've, you've made all this, you've done all of this, now I'm going to make you look after ten cities. My goodness, that's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> but of course, if we look, this is after the king returns. So this reward is in the new kingdom with the new king. They're given this as he returns. Therefore, that's a reminder of the, the promise of what we will receive. There's a sense here in all of this of the fact that although we're saved by grace, the way we live now does somehow have kingdom consequences. As Jesus had already said in Luke's gospel, we are storing up treasures in heaven. I also like the fact that it's really important that we notice, actually, that that Jesus calls the one who makes the ten miners, he calls him trustworthy. And, of course, it doesn't say it about the the one who makes five, but I'm sure Jesus was meaning him as well. That sort of helps us to remember that this is a call to be faithful. You know, when the king says, you have been trustworthy... But then we have uh, this um, one who puts the coin in a piece of cloth. What happens to him? Let's just remind ourselves of the reading from verse 20. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. 
Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has 10 miners. Cool, that doesn't feel very fair, does it? <laughs> feels quite hard hitting. And we've already seen that this man doesn't do anything because of fear. But look at what he's saying. Instead of owning up to his failure to sort of put his master's money to good use, the servant actually tries to blame his master. He says to him in verse 21, For I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Can you see what he's saying here? He's he's saying it wasn't his fault for being afraid. It was his master's fault because he viewed him as a severe man. And he adds that even if he'd made more money, his master would just take it away. So what was the point? Why even bother working for the master if he'd just take it away? There's something here, isn't there, about being crippled by fear or even being crippled by blame. Maybe it's a challenge for us in terms of how we see Jesus. Do we see Jesus in that way sometimes as the one who will take everything from us? Do we blame him for things? Yeah, what the master is saying is that the servant may not have been able to do much, but he could have done a little something. You know, we are all different, aren't we? We all respond differently to what God has given us. But there is a challenge. If we, if we don't, see what, don't use what we have, we lose it. Fail to use what God has given us, and we risk losing everything. Because the outcome for this third servant is that what he has is taken from him. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that really quite, quite hard hard to read um, without thinking sort of about inequality, without thinking about fairness. You know, why is one who hasn't done anything get punished? You know, it's not like he's done something really bad. It's not like he's lost the coin or, you know, uh, squandered it. He's just not done anything. And it does make me wonder, and um, this might not be the right thought, but I'm going to share it anyway. (coughs) Uh, What if the servant did something with it and came back empty-handed because he'd uh, not, uh, it hadn't gone the way he'd hoped. If he'd taken that coin and risked something, maybe the master would have been okay with that because he'd tried. He'd given it a go. I don't know, and that might not be uh, the right way to think. I'm just putting that out there. Um, please feel free to disagree with me on that. Actually, always feel free to, you know, to always look at Scripture, you know, because you know, don't take um, our words for it when we stand at the front. Um, it's really important that we always check what uh, people say against uh, what Scripture says. I'd always much rather someone say to me, I'm not sure I agreed with that, than nice sermon vicar. Anyway, that's, I'm going to get loads of people disagreeing with me now, aren't I, as you go out. And I'm not going to be able to respond to you because I've got no voice. But anyway, uh, where was I? I've lost, my, I've lost my, my place now. Where did we get to? Anyone remind me where I'm up to because I now can't remember. Um, yes, uh, yes, I know where I am. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I've already talked about this. I've talked a bit about grace, haven't I? We are saved by grace. You know, that's something that we, you know, at this point we might start going, but hang on a minute, what about grace? What about the fact that we are saved, not because of what we do and all of those things? 
But isn't there also a sense that we are given responsibility? We are given responsibility as God's people to live for him, to use what he has given us well. And the fact is that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back to see what his servants have done, as this king did. And we see that in the very next passage that we'll look at um, in, in January, as Jesus sees how the people have treated the temple As he enters it and he sees the doves being sold for sacrifice, he goes in and turns over the tables. A real sense of what Jesus is and isn't looking for when he returns. And it's sort of an interesting question, isn't it, to think, you know, what is the equivalent for each one of us of Jesus coming and responding to us by turning over the tables? What is it that we might just need to think, hang on a minute, is that the right way for me to be living? So Jesus tells us, uh, sorry, scripture tells us that Jesus will return, that we need to wait, but not simply do nothing. And finally, that there are consequences to what we have or haven't done. And this passage gives us three um, different outcomes, which Jesus outlines right at the end of this passage. Um, here's our uh, last little bit of uh, scripture from verse 26. Jesus replied, Um, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So what we see in that passage is that to those who have been faithful, who've borne fruit, they will receive more. To those who haven't done anything, What they have will be taken away from them, and they won't be trusted anymore. But I do think it's important for us to see that they don't get killed. (laughs) It's just that what they have is taken from them. So that's actually quite helpful, I think, to to remind myself of there. That there's still something about the fact that they're in the kingdom. It's just what they have is taken from them. And then to those who are Jesus' enemies, those who don't want him to be king, they will face death. Now that's hard-hitting in lots of ways, but it reminds us that actually it's those of us who know Jesus, who are in Christ, who are the ones who will be saved. And it gives us a reminder of the importance of sharing the good news of the gospel with those around us. But I do want to make it clear that, you know, this isn't Jesus saying that the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. Remember, this is not about money. In fact, this passage is not about success or failure in a sort of worldly sense. It's about how we faithfully serve King Jesus in a spiritual sense. Because what we see here, it's those who are committed to their discipleship who are the ones that will bear fruit, those who will grow, those who faithfully follow Jesus bear fruit for him, even if the fruit is very small. So what we can see here is that it does matter how we live. It does matter how we serve Jesus. It does matter how we follow him, the way, the truth, and the life. Not that that is what saves us, but because it shows, that, shows Jesus that we are truly his servants. And why would we not want to bear fruit for him? Why would we not want to serve him so that when he returns, we will see the gift of life 
in Jesus. So there's good news here. There's good news because God is faithful. He is full of love and mercy and grace. We have a hope and a future because Jesus will return. King Jesus will return. We just need to think about how we live until that point. Let's pray. If I can invite the band to come back, that would be wonderful. Let's just um, have a moment of quiet and encourage you to um, just be so thankful that Jesus is King and that he will return. It's just in the quietness, offer up our praise and thanks to Jesus. King Jesus, we thank you that you are king and that we know that one day you will return and that because of that we can have hope. King Jesus, we thank you that in you we find grace and mercy. We thank you that it is not because of anything that we do that we are saved. But we also recognize that challenge to live for you, to serve you. So maybe just for a moment, encourage you just to think about um, this coming week and ask uh, God to help you see how you can serve him in this coming week. King Jesus, we thank you that you trust us and give us um, the good news of the gospel, that um, we are um, your body in this world. We ask that you would help us to serve you each day, that we may bear fruit as we wait for your return. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We're going to uh, sing um, our final song now. Uh, A wonderful song reminding us um, of where Jesus was born and uh, the fact that he is Emmanuel, God, with us. Can I invite you to stand as we sing together? Mm -hmm.